It's more than just another radio show. It's a beacon of truth. Fasten your seatbelt and find out why they call Deacon Harold Burke Sivers the dynamic deacon. Join Deacon Harold for a fast-paced hour that sheds encouraging light on today's culture. Welcome to Beacon of Truth with your host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Hello and welcome to Beacon of Truth. I'm your host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. It's so great to be with you today. And the show team is in the house. We have our producer, Ace McKay. Our call screener is Matt Gabinski. And our social media, Charles Bury. And what's the purpose of the show? Well, we're going to try to help bring people to a deeper love and intimacy with Jesus Christ and the Catholic faith by doing one thing well, speaking the truth in love, just as Paul tells us in Ephesians 4.15. And what is truth? Truth is not a philosophy. It's not an idea that you form in your mind. Truth is a person, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life, who tells us in John 14, 6, no one comes to the Father but by me. If you have an email, email us at beacon, that's with a B, beacon at EWTN.com. Uh, my speaking schedule. If you want to see where I'll be, if I'll be in your area, I would love to see you. I always love meeting members of the EWTN radio family. Just go to my website, deaconharold.com, and at the top of the header, you'll see a schedule link. Just click schedule in the page header, and I'd love to meet you. Make sure you, you introduce yourself to me and tell me that you listen to the show. Looks forward to hearing and sharing your stories of your experience of of EWTN and what it's done for your life and for your family because that's certainly the case with me. Uh, well, today uh, we're going to talk about critical race theory or CRT, as it is called. Uh, this is something that tends to be controversial, and you know, uh, and the reason I'm discussing this, um, I included a chapter. Uh, about critical race theory in my book, Building a Civilization of Love, a Catholic Response to Racism, which is available at um, EWTN Religious Catalog. And I included a chapter on this because there are some areas of the church where they're bringing critical race theories into the parish life and into Catholic schools. And uh, if you look on the internet back and forth, there's a lot of discussion, a lot of chatter, uh, a lot of heavy criticism of critical race theory. And so when I was writing the book, I wanted to be fair. I said, you know what, uh, everybody's talking about what this is and what it isn't. I don't know what it is, really. Um, and I feel I need to include this in the book because there are, again, a Catholics that think that we need to include this as part of the discussion to, uh, to close the racial divide. And as a way of bringing uh, ra uh, reconciliation uh, and hope to this issue of racism. And so I decided to buy the books of the people who developed critical race theory. So Derek Bell, Richard Delgado, Janine Stefanik, Kimberly Crenshaw. I bought their books and I read for myself what critical race theory is. Because I thought, you know, I went in. Uh, to be fair and objective, I said, you know what? 
maybe there is something here. I know everybody's critical of it, but maybe there's something here that we can use as Catholics that will help us in this, in this discussion. Now, I was looking at critical race theory specifically through the lens of race and the Catholic response to racism. So I wasn't looking at, at it from a sociological perspective or a philosophical perspective or economic perspective. I was looking at it through the lens of a Catholic, authentically Catholic response to the issue of race um, in the hopes of healing and reconciliation. Is critical race theory a tool that we can use to accomplish that? That was my thinking going into it. And so today I want to talk about what I found and what I discovered. So we're going to talk about what it is, what are its basic tenets, and there are five of them that that we'll talk about. And finally, can we, as Catholics, accept it? Can we accept critical race theory? Will it actually help us uh, in this issue of race. So, uh, again, if you want to email us, beacon at EWTN.com. And with me uh, as the producer today is my main man, Ace. Hey, Deacon. And uh, Ace is in the place. I love that we're having this conversation because I feel like the reason most people don't have this conversation is because they're afraid it will get heated. So I want to be able to show that we can talk about race. We can open that up of how to be better in the church, be better in our faith of representation of who Christ is and bringing us together without it always feeling like that it's going to go there, that it's going to just light fires and you know get people ablaze in. Amen. And, and it all comes down to uh, what the show is about, speaking the truth in love, right? And that's what we're going to do today. Um, and, and before we get to that, is what, what you been listening to lately, bro? Me? Uh, okay, so I've kind of gone old school lately. I've been finding, like I grew up, you know, I was a 70s, 80s kid, right? But I have been, and I think this comes from my mom and raising me on like the Beatles and the Monkees and all of that. I've been finding like garage back like forgotten and you know maybe even never heard of by most people of just old psychedelic rock and roll like just hearing the riffs of that things that most people haven't listened to because what I'm always doing as a worship musician is looking for what are those little nuances musically to make worship either different or to have a vibe that is, you know, maybe something they've never heard before that engages them in a moment of worship, which I know how you and I feel when it comes to worship and how that is an extension of our celebration of who we are in Christ. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm always looking for those little nuances because I want to find that lick or that riff or that vibe of something that most people might see as traditional but it has a newness to it, a flair that kind of adds. So uh, just kind of mixing that all in lately. You know, um, I, <laughs> I've been using Spotify now. You know, my kids turned me on to Spotify. I was, mm -hmm. I was doing uh, Apple Music for the longest time. And the kids, you should use Spotify, Daddy. And so um, I started using Spotify and uh, started putting together a playlist. And, uh, boy, I have over a 1,000 songs in my playlist now. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's just like you. I'm a child of the 70s and 80s. And, I, you know, I think... 
the 70s and early 80s was the best time for music. Agreed. You know, when I when I when I listened, to, I mean, real musicians playing real music, Earthwind and Fire. Mm. You know, Stevie Wonder and um, you know, Van Halen, you know, and I mean, real musicians playing real music. Yeah. Not the synthetic stuff, not the auto-tune, not all this stuff where technology makes you sound good or even gimmicky. Yeah. You know, there there are people out there that you know, uh, you know, like I forget. I don't know the name of these singers and stuff, but they, they one guy immolated himself on a cross, and, and I listened to the song. The guy has zero talent, yeah. um, but again, to get attention, he has to do something controversial to cover for the fact that he has no talent. Right? You know, so I mean, it's, a lot of that music is synth heavy, it's beat heavy. You know, and it's good, good dance music. That's great, but I want music that does something to me. Mm. That that makes my heart leap. I my that attracts my ear. And my heart goes, oh man, I love that chord change or I love that progression. Yeah, you know. Um, well, and you know this, just as a musician, like the mindset in our faith is that everything that's Christian in lyrics is how God's going to reach us. When I know He's reached me through a Beatles song or through a Motley Crue song. I mean, there have been times where I've been in those states where I wasn't listening to Christian music and he needed to rattle my cage and go, hey, boy, come over here. I got something to say. And it, it breaks you down. So music moves us in ways that God's going to get our attention because he knows how to speak to us. Oh, amen. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, and, and you're right. It just doesn't always have to be uh, Christian music. Um, you know, my favorite band is Queen. You know, so, uh, you know, uh, uh, obviously not a faith-filled band, but um, I just, the, the harmonies and Brian May's guitar tone yep. and uh, just the, the, the flow of some of those songs and just, you know, it, it just, it did, as a 10-year-old, 11-year-old, that did something to me, you know, and actually helped me to appreciate music at, at Mass even more and even wanted me to, to uh, I was I had more of a desire to sing mm-hmm. at mass and to and to play. So when I wasn't serving mass, I was playing in the choir, you know, and I or I was singing or playing guitar in the in the um in in the church choir growing up at at the good old Christ the King in Hillside, New Jersey. Shout out to my mm. old parish, growing up, uh, and and that's where really a lot of my love for music came from. Listening to the stuff from the seventies and eighties. So that's what's been on my on my Spotify list. Well, I always say, don't judge people by color. Judge them by the music they're listening to. So, it's <laughs> <laughs> right. Because I might right. judge you a little bit based on whether you, you know, listen to vinyl or you know, whatever. Let's compare records. Yeah, and vinyl's making a comeback. That's for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, critical race theory—that's our topic on Beacon of Truth. And I'm your host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, and we will get into it uh, when we come back. talking about (laughs) welcome back to beacon of truth i'm your host deacon harold burke sivers and our topic today is critical race theory i'd love to hear from you send us an email beacon that's with a b beacon at ewtn.com 
I know that uh, when it comes to uh, being able to make the most of the Mass, EWTN Mass Guide booklet is available. The e-booklet, easy to find because EWTN offers the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from Our Lady of the Angels Chapel live every morning at 8 Eastern. So if you want the companion to go along with that, Check it out. It's free, easy to download. Just uh, go to the ebook, uh, ewtn.com slash Catholicism, and then click on the readings so that you can get yours today. All right. And if you want a copy of uh, my book, oh, actually, I think EWT has all of my books in EWTN, but they religious do. catalog. But the one that we're talking about today, uh, with that includes critical race theory, our topic is building a civilization of love, a Catholic response to racism available at EWTN catalog as well as uh, uh, I have nine television series on the network as well and those are all available at EWTN religious catalog as well well in thinking about our topic today of uh, critical race theory I was thinking what psalm would go with this this idea of critical race theory and, and when you hear the psalm you, you, you're going to get an idea of of uh, what's coming next in the final segment of what mm-hmm. I my, my uh, analysis of it. So it's Psalm 14. And as we know already, uh, th- this is in book one of the Psalms. And uh, there's 41 Psalms in that first book, all of them attributed to David, uh, who again wrote most of the Psalms and who is the only author of the Psalms that has uh, Psalms in all five books of the Psalms. And so today, Psalm 14. So the prescript, uh, which is, which is uh, as, as we know, as we talked about, uh, ver- which is uh, in the uh, Masoretic text, that's in, in, the, in the Hebrew version, uh, the prescript is counted as a verse. So this psalm starts, Psalm 14, grab your Bible, Psalm 14 s- starts, for the choir master, a psalm of David. So that's the first verse. So David wrote this psalm and then assigned it to one of the choir masters. And, and as we know, the, the choir masters was, um, David directed the chief Levites to uh, assign men to serve as uh, um, directors of the musical guild of the Jewish temple. And so this psalm was assigned to the um, musical guild to put music to it. So here's how it starts. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Their deeds are corrupt, depraved. No one does any good. So this is the situation that Israel found itself in, in the time of David when he wrote this psalm. They were surrounded by pagan nations who did not believe in God, who worshipped uh, idols and statues uh, and, and, and nature. So pantheism, God is uh, uh, in uh, you know, uh, God is a tr- a tree, a, a, you know, a rock, a river, those kinds of things. Um, and he said their deeds are corrupt and depraved. Why? They sacrificed their own children. Uh, they sacrificed human lives. And no one does any good. So David is, is looking and scanning the, the, the situation that he finds himself in. Well, look at us today. We are also surrounded by a very pagan culture, a godless culture. Uh, atheists and those who don't believe in God that believe in science, which comes from God, and there's no contradiction uh, between God and science. You just, oh my goodness, listen to Father Robert, uh, Robert Spitzer. Oh my goodness, that man, brilliant. Um, and we look at the, the deeds of corrupt, depraved. You look at the abortion and euthanasia 
and physician-assisted suicide and embryonic stem cell research and the so-called redefinition of marriage and gender and all these things that are going on. I mean, David could have wrote this psalm today. Their deeds are corrupt, depraved. No one does any good. Second verse, from heaven the Lord looks down on the human race to see if any are wise, if any seek God. Wow, imagine that. I mean, I love that because it reminds, it, a constant reminder to me that God is not like looking over my shoulder to make sure I do the right thing, but he's looking down to see who he can trust with his message, with his word. Who is, is going to say yes to the grace that he has given us? He has given each of us talents. He has given each of us abilities. And he's looking down from heaven. Who can I trust with this message? Who, whose gifts can I unlock so that my name will be glorified in this pagan world? So he's looking down from heaven, looking at his sons and daughters. Uh, who's going to follow in the footsteps of my son? Not the footsteps of the culture. Who's going to follow in the footsteps of my son? But then it says in verse 3, all have gone astray, depraved everyone. There is no one who does any good. No, not even one. Right? Mm. And it feels, doesn't it feel like that? Doesn't it feel like, doesn't it feel, let's be real. Doesn't it feel like you're the only one that is standing up for truth? Especially if you're in a workplace or or you're surrounded by people that are completely pagan, that don't believe anything. And and sometimes you're afraid to stand up. You're afraid because, oh my goodness, I don't want to be ostracized or I don't want to be the one that's pointed out. I don't want to be the one that's humiliated. Well, Jesus Christ was humiliated on the cross. They mocked him and punched him and kicked him. And they spat on him. God, this is God. They did this too. And he did it for us. So, uh, so it does feel like that sometimes. And so I think David here is really speaking reality when, he, when, we, when we feel we're the only ones that are standing up for truth. But I think, too, we may be the only Jesus a lot of people see all day. So I think if we could see ourselves that way first, it'll make it easier. Because even if we are the only one, be the best representative of him that you can be. Exactly. What does is, what is Paul say in Galatians? It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Amen. And you're right. That's the Christ that people need to see. And for us as Catholics, we receive Jesus Christ in word and in sacrament. We are fed and nourished twice at every holy sacrifice of the mass. We are nourished and fed by the word, and then that, which prepares our hearts and minds and souls to then receive Jesus again, body, blood, soul, divinity, in the Eucharist. And then we are impelled, empowered, enlivened to go forth from that church, from that place of worship, back into the world to witness the power of God's love. To show somebody Jesus, to be his hands, to be his feet, to be his heart, to be his witness in the midst of a, of a pagan culture. So yeah, you nailed it. Exactly right. And so David goes on. Do none of the evildoers understand? They eat up my people as if eating bread. They never call out to the Lord. Look at the persecution that's going on with, with Christians today. Not just our brothers and sisters who are literally dying for the faith in, in, on, on the continent of Africa in, in Countries like Nigeria and Uganda and others, or in China or in India, where they're burning churches, where people are literally dying and being persecuted, being kidnapped, being tortured because of their love and faith 
in Jesus Christ. Uh, they eat up my people as if eating bread. Yeah, or what's happening to us in the United States? People are being deplatformed off social media. We're being demonetized. We're being canceled, this cancel culture, um, yeah, trying to take our voice away. Um, they never call out to the Lord. Why? Because they believe that they're God. <laughs> they're their own God. Right? Which goes back to Genesis chapter 3. That was the lie of Satan. You will be like God. And that's what's happening. And David continues in verse 5. There they shall tremble with fear, for God is with the generation of the just. You may mock the plans of one that is poor, but his refuge is the Lord. I love that. So people are going to mock us. People are going to make fun of us. People are going to ridicule us because we stand for Jesus, because we stand for the Catholic faith and for truth. And expect it. It's going to happen. It happens to me. It happens to me. It happens to so many um, other uh, speakers out there who are not afraid to stand up for truth. You will be persecuted. Jesus says, if you are to be my disciple, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. And when we do that, when we actually follow Jesus as his disciples, the same thing that happened to him is going to happen to us. We will be persecuted. You know, but think about this, though. I mean, I, I, I'm one of those that, like, I, I'm, because I've experienced God from a freedom perspective, I think I know for a long time I was in a place, and I think a lot of us are that way, where we allow ourselves to be seen for the worst thing we've ever done or for the biggest fear that we may have, whether that be in our attachments of this world or the people around us. So if that fear in those things, like the loss of those things or the, you know, the fear of being fired or the fear of whatever, it is, isn't there something, though, that is holding us back? Like, how do we get beyond a fear knowing that God is as righteous as he is and knowing that we have access to that when we have that personal relationship? Right. In 1 John four nineteen, 19, uh, Paul says, perfect love casts out all fear. So we have to learn to love God more than be afraid. See, we have to remember our our, our relationship with God is just that. It's a relationship hmm. of intimate, personal, loving, and life-giving communion. Our faith is not just rules and regulations and commandments and moral codes. Yes, those are part of it because those help us, those form us, those shape us into the person that God created us to be. But that's not the be-all, end-all. It's all about relationship with Jesus. And it's not a relationship that's just on my terms. Remember, relationships go back and forth. It's covenant. It's an exchange of love and life and intimacy communion, which means we have to trust God. We have to trust in his love. We have to trust in his mercy, even when it's hard. You know, I think about people who have lost loved ones, and sometimes their instinct is to leave the church. Like, I'm angry at God. I'll show you, God. Mm-hmm. And I get it. I, I get the, the emotion, the, the, the pain. The pain is so intense. I get it. And look what David says here to finish off the psalm. Oh, that Israel's salvation might come from Zion. Look to the Lord as our hope. Look to the Lord as our light. 
When the Lord delivers his people from bondage, then Jacob will be glad and Israel rejoice. That our hope ultimately is not in this world. If you're expecting to find the fullness of joy and peace in this world, you will never find it. It only comes from God. So we have to live our lives not in fear, but in love, always remembering that our our, our life here on earth is a journey and our true home is in heaven. And that God gives us everything we need in word and in sacrament that prepares us, just like David writes here. And so with, uh, as you can see with critical race theory, you can kind of understand uh, where we're going to go uh, in, the, in the, the, the next part of the show, uh, where we actually break down and look at what critical race theory is. And we'll see whether or not that this will help lead us to a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ and help us in this issue of race. Uh, we will be back. This is Beacon of Truth with Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Makes you want to pick up your axe and just go yeah. at it, right? <laughs> but yeah, listen to that song. There's some players out there now. I, I hear them play. I just want to stop playing. <laughs> I was like, what, what am I doing? I'm wasting my time. These guys are too good. I mean, we'll have to talk about this on another show, but the, just the technical proficiency yeah. of guitarists and other musicians today is just mind-boggling, uh, the, the, the techniques that they're doing and what they're playing. But that's for another show. Welcome back, EWTN family. Uh, I'm Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, the host of Beacon of Truth, where we speak the truth of the Catholic faith in love. And the show team is in the house. We have our producer, Ace McKay. Our call screener is Matt Gabinski. And our social media, Charles Bury. <laughs> want to remind you that uh, if you missed Jerry and Debbie with Take Two earlier today, you've got a midnight encore tonight and, of course, on demand when you go to EWTNRadio.com slash radio. And then, of course, checking them out tonight at midnight Eastern here on EWTN Radio. And if you want to send us an email, you can do so at Beacon. That's with a B, Beacon at EWTN.com. So... Our topic today is critical race theory. And the first question is, what is it? So now, okay, see, <laughs> this, this is not an easy topic. I will make it as simple as possible. Again, if you want to read uh, more about this in depth, you can get my book, uh, Building a Civilization of Love, a Catholic Response to Racism, available at EWTN Religious Catalog. Um, all right, so. Critical race theory is an intellectual hypothesis. That means it's a theory. It's not critical race fact. It's critical race theory. It's an intellectual hypothesis with the premise that race is not about categorical differentiation or biological distinction within a species. So what does that mean? So it's not about uh, I'm uh, American, I'm uh, uh, Bajan, I'm German, I'm French, I'm Italian, I'm Russian. And it's not also about biological distinction. I'm black, I'm white, I'm Asian, I'm uh, Native American. You know, it's not about that. But a socially constructed 
instrument. So society determines what race is. And it's used uh, as a socially constructed instrument used to exploit and, uh, and oppress people of color. So that's the critical race theory definition of race. It's not about biology. It's not about category. It's about a socially constructed instrument. So people within society, who within society? The, the predominant race. And they use it as an instrument to exploit and oppress people of color. Now, some people say, well, critical race theory is basically Marxism. Well, although it's not identical to Marxism, when you look at what traditional Marxism is, um, which assesses social conditions and hypothesizes that poverty, which is supposedly caused by capitalism, could be alleviated by revolutionizing power structures, uh, especially in connection with uh, control of the means of production. Okay, so that's basically what what Marx proposed. Um, So, but critical race theory similarly scrutinizes these hierarchical structures within the culture and asserts that society's problems are due to intrinsically racist individuals. That means by the very nature, these people are racist and the structures that they build are also racist and not merely the result of learned behavior or particular individuals that affect their attitudes, choices, or decisions. So it's not about you as an individual being a racist. It's, it's, it's the fact that by the very nature of who you are, you are a racist, and therefore you build structures that are also intrinsically racist. So it's not a result of learned behavior and particular attitudes. And I would argue very much against that, which we'll see in a few minutes here. So what's the goal? The goal of critical race theory is to free people, to liberate people from these oppressive structures. How? Through major societal and political change. That sounds familiar. Societal and political change. It's not about changing people. It's about changing structures and, and, pol- and, and politics in society. So CRT, by its very nature, it's divisive. Why? It utilizes conflict, struggle, and discord as sources of cultural revolution. So they don't, critical race theorists don't envision interracial collaboration as an anticipated outcome. So let's break down these walls of race in order to bring people together. No. Instead, they foster the expansion of racial division as progress and advancement. That's really what it's all about. Again, this is not Deacon Harold practicing polemics or triumphalism. This is what they actually teach, and we'll see that right now. So there's five basic tenets or five basic beliefs of critical race theory. Number one is that uh, I'm going to use their language and we're going to explain it. Racism is ordinary, not aberrational. This says that racism is is a given both within human nature and in American culture and is consequently the normal experience of most people of color. So in other words, racism, we are racist by nature. We are born racist is what they're saying. That's their first tenet. Um, uh, So I'll I'll give you the five and then we'll go back and, and break each one of these down. So the second one says 
there are dual characteristics of, I guess it's their language. See, sometimes when you're creating a, a, a new system, you have to use language that's sometimes confusing in order to, uh, in my opinion, lead people astray. So they have these dual characteristics of white over color ascendancy. So these, these, these two characters of what they call white over color ascendancy has two parts. One is called ordinariness, and the other one is called interest convergence or material determinism. I know those are huge words, but again, I want to use their language to describe what they say critical race theory is. I'm going to break these down and explain these to you, so, so don't fear. I'm just giving you the basics right now. The third tenet says that the so, is a social construction thesis. That says that race and races are products of social thought and relations. Not objective, inherent, or fixed. They don't correspond to biology or genetics. We talked about that in in their definition of what race is. So that's basically their third tenet. The fourth tenet says, and I'm sure some of you have heard this word, intersectionality. Or another word they use is anti-essentialism. It's the same, same, two different words that mean the same thing. So this idea of intersectionality or anti-essentialism says that no individual can be sufficiently identified by a member of a single group. So you can't be defined by race, gender, sexual identity, nationality. So there's an intersect. So, you know, you, you can intersect between race and gender and politics and nationality and sexual identity. Um, <laughs> and, and so you, know, you kind of have this conglomerate, this convergence of all these different ways of being. Okay, that's the fourth tenet. The finally, the last one is what they call voice of color thesis that says that basically um, people of color are really the, the only ones that can adequately discuss issues of race because people that aren't of a, a different color have not truly experienced racism. Okay, so that's the five basic tenets. So now. The final thing is, can we as Catholics accept it? So let's look at the first one. Uh, And again, we only have time on the show (laughs) to do uh, uh, not a full analysis. uh, You you, you buy the book for a deeper understanding. But I just want to give you the basics here. So again, the first tenet says that racism is ordinary, not an aberration. Um, So it's a given. That means we're, we're born, we're inherently by nature racist. So that idea contradicts the church's teaching on original sin um, uh, since critical race theories presume that sin of racism is pre-programmed into human nature. It's not the result of a fall. Remember, in, in the scriptures, God creates us, God creates everything as good, and then he creates humanity as very good. And the fall came about when our first parents used their free willed choice Remember, in Genesis 2, it says, you may eat freely of every tree in the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For the day you eat of it, you shall die. So when, when our first parents used their free will to contradict God by eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that they were not supposed to eat from, that decision to choose themselves over God is what caused sin to come into the world. They weren't created by God as sinful, by intrinsically, by nature, sinful. Okay? Uh, Now, because of original sin, all of us are born into, uh, I mean, because of the fall, all of us are born into a state of original sin. That's why we need baptism. Uh, Think of it like this. 
Original sin is like an empty glass, okay? The, the glass is empty. What baptism does, it fills that glass to overflowing with God's sanctifying grace, which is the grace we need to get to heaven, okay? And, and so critical race theory says that we are born racist, that is not an aberration. No, we're born in a state of original sin, but we're not born racist, okay? That's, that's com- completely wrong. Uh, but, but see, it's not an aberration. But that's exactly what racism is. It's an aberration resulting from the abuse of human freedom. The, we're still feeling the effects of original sin in our world today. And racism is one of those effects. We are not born racism, racist. Racism flourishes when we decide to stop seeing the image and likeness of God in the person standing in front of us. Genesis 1.27 says that God made us in his image and likeness. And when we do not see the image and likeness of God in every single human being standing in front of us, when we start to make judgments about people without knowing them, when we um, pick up things from television and from social media and jokes from parents and, and, we, and we begin to build stereotypes about this is how these people are because this is how I see them all the time without any kind of personal uh, uh, interaction, without any subjective knowledge or objective experience. Um, we, just, we just see what we, what we want to see, uh, these caricatures. We don't see the person. That is an aberration caused by the, the effects of the original sin and the fall. We are not born that way. We are not born racist. You were born with, in the state of original sin, but we're not born racist. Think about it like this. You see little kids on the playground. They're having fun. They're playing. You don't see a four-year-old saying, I'm not going to play with you because you're Puerto Rican. I mean, they, they don't do that. They're just kids playing. Mm. Right? They don't think of it like that. But, but over time, when they're exposed to, uh, again, social media, television, uh, jokes from parents, internet, all these different things. They see caricatures of people of different races without any personal interaction. They begin to build these ideas in their mind that this is how this person must be. And so, again, that's not um, by nature. So, so critical race theory is dead wrong on that first tenet. How much do you think that social media either helps or hurts in the division of race? Well, I mean, social media is a wonderful tool uh, for sharing uh, uh, experiences. So if, if, if someone gets on social media and says, you know what, um, uh, you know, he, the, this is how these people of color are, are portrayed. But actually, here's my experience. Right. You begin mm-hmm. to share these, these experiences that begin to break down stereotypes. And, and the one way we could do that in the parishes, for example, um, you, you put up pictures of saints of color. Like when people walk into the church, it may be, you, you may be it's like St. Like Elizabeth Ann Seton as a parish, okay? Let's just say that's your parish. And the only images in that parish are of white European saints. Right. How about when you walk in, you see Josephine Bikita, you see St. Teteri Tetequitha, you see um, St. Juan Diego, you see St. Martin de Porres, right? You see these different saints of color, and, you be, and, you be, and so when your kids walk in and they see that, now they're seeing images of people of color that are elevated and held up by the church as examples, as exemplars of how to live a life as a follower of Jesus Christ. That begins to build a whole different image in your mind. Well, and even, you know, 
no offense to churches who have this particular picture, but as a kid, we had the, you know, white, blue-eyed Jesus, you know, as you walk in the corridor or the foyer or whatever of the church I went to, you know, and the reality of that is that's not accurate as well. And so that's right. a, that's another, not to say that it's intentional, but again, you know, for those that haven't seen him face-to-face yet, you know, they don't know. But it's just an understanding who he really was at that time and where he was born and raised and all of those things. So I totally agree with that. So the second tenant, okay, so they have this thing called white over color ascendancy. White over color ascendancy. And there's two parts to this white over color ascendancy. One tract is called ordinariness, and the other one is called interest convergence or material determinism. I know you're scratching your head right now. Like, what? See, this is why I bought the books. I'm reading these terms. I'm like, what the heck do they mean by this? <laughs> so this is why I bought the book so I can read for myself. So let's break it down. So this um, white overcolor ascendancy uh, or, or this idea of ordinariness, right, ordinariness, uh, as defined by critical race theory means that racism is difficult to address or cure because it's not often acknowledged. You know, there are people out there that, that don't believe that racism even exists. Okay, that's their thinking. So as a result of that, racial injustice becomes commonplace or ordinary in the experience of non-whites because it's not acknowledged it becomes the ordinary that's what i mean by ordinariness it's the ordinary experience of people of color so although critical race theory do recognize that progress has been made regarding blatant forms of racism for example immigration policies um, employment practices redlining they see these advances having no impact on racism, <laughs> you see? Yeah. So it, it still becomes the ordinary experience of people of color. So ordinariness assumes that everyone who is not a person of color is a racist, which, again, ties into that first tenet, that we're innately racist, and that the implementation of racist systems and structures within society is just business as usual. From a Christian perspective, that you know what they say might be true if humanity were not created for something more for a purpose that transcends man-made ideology. See, critical race theory through this ordinariness, so, well, this is just the ordinary uh, experience of people of color, and so if you're not a person of color, you're building these systems and structures where you dominate. But see, that's not what we're created for. This is what happens when you take your eyes off of Jesus and off of faith. Uh, we're, we're not concerned about man-made ideologies. The Catholic vision of, a, of the world moves us from sin to holiness and virtue that propels us toward our ultimate end, what St. Thomas Aquinas called the sonum bunum, the greatest good, life with God forever. So it's not, this, this racism should not be the ordinary experience. It's an aberration. We need to fight with the weapons of Christ, with the weapons of faith to overcome racism. Again, they're focusing on structures and systems Jesus Christ didn't come to save structures and systems. He came to save people. Mm. And that's my point. We have to start with people if we want to change structures and systems so that it doesn't become the ordinary experience. It's the ordinary experience because of sin. And we have to continually break down the walls of sin. And so the second pillar, white overcolor, uh, uh, of the second pillar of white overcolor ascendancy um, is this thing called interest convergence or material determinism. Basically, what that means 
is that racism advances the interests, so interest convergence, it advances the interests of the elites materially and the working class whites. So where large segments of society have little incentive to eradicate it. So racism, as they defined it, remember, um, advances the interests of the elites and working class whites. Again, not only criticizes a faith-based approach to ending racism, it's, that's what I say, okay, you Christians, your approach, this faith-based approach to ending race is idealistic and ineffective and, and even naive. That's their understanding. So if they say that about a faith-based approach, because it's not looking at material determinism, it's not looking at interest convergence. Our interest is the cross of Jesus Christ. That's our interest. Our material determinism not the, is not determined by anything in this world. It's determined by a deep inner relationship with Jesus Christ and the faith. So again, this is why we cannot accept this kind of thinking as people of faith. Well, and also in being a part of the conversation, you get to understand people of other races and what they've been through so that you understand why they have the, the, the mindset or the faith that they do or, you know, the miracle moments, any of that. And I think sometimes I know, you know, being a white guy, it, you know, my black friends didn't want to talk about certain things because they didn't think I would understand. But I wanted to know because I wanted to know them and as we are supposed to love God and love others, loving them at their darkest and hardest parts of their life. And sometimes those hard parts was in that they were being seen vision of, you know, everyone's looking at them through an, a, a vision of hatred or a vision of, you know, well, you're only as good as. And, and we've all experienced that on some level. But again, you can't compare it to what they've been through. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And it actually gets to um, to, to one of the points in the, in the last tenant. But let's take a look at number three, this social construction thesis. Now, this ties in to their definition of, of racism. It's not about biology or genetics, but these are socially constructed categories that society invents in order to manipulate and control people of color. Um, the major flaw is that uh, this exploitation of humanity looks only outward, not inward. Um, because CRT is blinded by, by socialist uh, underpinnings, they don't appreciate the fact that some societies are comprised of uh, societies are comprised of fallible, sinful human beings. <laughs> right? Sin is an eminent factor in, one's, in one race's subjective belief of superiority over another. It's not because of social construction. It's because of sin. It's because of sin. History shows that racism is based on differences in skin color, ethnicity, uh, and some of them biological, cultural mil milieu initially. And that when left unimpeded by the actions of God's grace and courageous people of faith, that leads to perverted acts against the dignity of the human person. That's the issue that, that CRT misses. Um, the f now, just quickly, because we're running out of time. The fourth tenet is there's this thing called intersectionality. This is one that people are probably familiar with. So again, you can't be identified as by membership in a single group. So you know, there's an intersection between race and gender and sexual identity and nationality. So you can say, I'm like, if they say, who are you? Who are you? Well, I am a, a white, you know, uh, 
same sex attracted, uh, you know, uh, uh, independent political something. I mean, so that is what of who you are. See, it's by it's, it's basically an amalgamation of personal lifestyle choices, decisions, political alliances, religious affiliations, all of that stuff that that determines who you are, this intersection between all of those. The problem is, is that we are not defined by, like people say, you're a black Catholic. No, I'm a Catholic who's black, Mm -hmm. right? My identity is not about my race. My identity is a son of the living God. Uh, nurtured and fed by the body, blood, soul, divinity of Jesus Christ. I- I'm a follower of Jesus Christ first. That, now, that doesn't deny my gift of my black identity. I love and embrace it, but that's not my identity. Mm-hmm. So, again, because uh, critical race theory uh, says that you are an intersection. In other words, who you are is an intersection of all of these socially constructed societal norms. That defines who you are. has nothing to do with your identity in God. And that is the biggest problem with that, uh, with that fourth tenet. Yeah, I always tell my kids, if the sooner you can get comfortable in your own skin, the more you won't care what other people say or think of you. And that comes from knowing who you are in Christ. Right, exactly right, exactly right. And the last tenet, this voice of color thesis says that because you are uh, 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 not a person of color, you can't really think or write about these issues because you've not really experienced it yourself. And you'll love my example here, uh, Ace. So I use actually Eddie Van Halen mm. as an example. I, I had to find a way to bring my boy Eddie Van Halen Absolutely. into the discussion. So, so, so to, to contradict what CRT teaches here, Eddie Van Halen, I read a, an amazing interview with him uh, of course, he's dead. God rest his soul. When he, he, him and his brother came from Holland, they could not speak a word of English. And he says that he came to school, he was bullied. In fact, he was considered in a minority group because he couldn't speak English, because he was foreign. He said his fir- because of that, his first friends were black. He even remembers their names, Stephen and Russell. They became friends. And he said they would, while the white kids would tear up my homework papers and make me eat playground sand, uh, it was the black kids who stuck up for me. Mm. So just because you're not a person of color doesn't mean you can't experience this as well. All right. So, again, that's just a, a kind of a quick and dirty overview of critical race theory and why we can't accept it as Catholics. So I'm so glad that you're with us today on Beacon of Truth with Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, and we will be back. Uh, with another great topic to explore the beauty and depth of our faith to make that connection between your faith and your everyday lived experience. So if you want to send an email, just comment about what you heard today. Uh, Just a beacon at deaconoftruth.com. Remember to stream today's show, visit Podcast Central at EWTN.com slash radio. And may Almighty God bless you and keep you the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.